Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Olson. This podcast is produced to give fundraisers and nonprofit leaders like you the tools to increase mission impact. Tune in weekly so you don't miss a thing. Your mission is critical. Your resources are finite. You need a partner that can deliver customized, scalable, and relevant donor communications that increase response and maximize net long-term revenue for your cause. You need Altus Marketing. Check us out at altusmktg.com or email me directly at a-o-l-s-e-n at a-l-t-u-s-m-k-t-g.com to learn how we can elevate your fundraising results. And now here's today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show today. We're really excited because we've got Becca Hendricks here with us today. She's the Chief Development Officer at Food Bank of Northeast Arkansas. Becca, good afternoon. Thanks for being here. Good afternoon. Thank you guys for having me. Hey, we, um, we're excited for you to be here. We're looking forward to getting into some, uh, some good questions with you. Um, but before I jump into anything, uh, anything else, take a few minutes. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and the work that you do at the Food Bank. Yeah, I would love to do that. Um, so I am Becca Hendricks and Chief Development Officer at the Food Bank of Northeast Arkansas. Um, I've been working there for about a little over three years. And, um, you know, I kind of got started. It's an interesting story. Um, I would say, you know, my journey with helping with uh, food insecurity kind of got started in probably around 2009. I was, um, I went to a Washington Leadership Conference with some uh, local FFA students. And what we did while we were there was do some service projects. Um, We were able to, hold on, let me get my, let me gather my words. (laughs) So what we did was we planted a community garden in Washington, D.C. And while we did that, we were actually harvesting the plot next to us to be able to take that food and serve it to the homeless population in Washington, D.C. Um, so we worked all day. We worked so hard. And then we go back to our little hotel and we were fed rice and beans for dinner. And we had to sit on the floor and eat our rice and beans. And that was all we got. There was no... Um, nothing else that we were able to, to eat that evening. Um, and for me, that was just like a really big impactful moment in my life. And I felt like, you know, there's something that needs to be done about this. And at that time I was just 18 years old and I thought, you know, um, coming back to Arkansas and I thought, okay, what can we do to, to make a difference at home? Cause we know that this is an issue at home too. And so, we, uh, we, as in me, <laughs> and um, a few of my uh, fellow members that went with me um, came back and started what we called um, the the Green County Food Fight for our local county. Um, and at that point, I really just decided, you know, this is something I'm passionate about: feeding people who are hungry. Um, I made a decision to go into the agriculture industry because I thought, well, what better way to, you know, use my skills as you know, I, I can go into the agriculture industry and help feed the world. Um, so I got started in sales and marketing and agriculture and wound up volunteering for the local food bank while I was working at that, that place. Um, 
and they hired me. Uh, they had a position come open. They hired me and I started doing major gifts for them. And so it was a, a big whirlwind, but it kind of all came back around at the end. And so, so now, in addition to the major gifts, you, you oversee all the development operations of Foodbank, right? Yes. So since I came uh, to the food bank, I, I did start it as major gifts, but that definitely changed. Um, I kind of took on a leadership role without taking on the role. And my um, my team and my supervisors noticed that and were like, okay, I think you're already doing this work. So how about we compensate you for it and give you an official title and a little bit more power and we'll be able to grow this team a little bit and and be able to hopefully grow our fundraising. And we did. Awesome. So I, yeah. I'm curious, you, you mentioned something. It's going to probably start a fight on LinkedIn, but you, you talked about your background in sales and marketing. And I know that yeah. when I've had lots of conversations with fundraisers who say they're so different, there, there's nothing similar between fundraising and, and, and sales and marketing. They couldn't be further apart. Um, I think we probably have a different perspective on that. What's your take? I mean, did, did that background help you? Did it hinder you? Do you use that those skills today? Or, or have you said like, oh, I, I'm never going to touch that kind of world again. It's, it's nowhere near what I do. Like, talk about that. Yeah. So in my opinion, uh, don't come at me, LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> fundraising is the highest level of sales, in my opinion. Hmm. Um, you know, you're, you're not so much pitching a product because they're never going to be able to see what you're selling. Um, you're pitching a feeling. You are trying to get people to buy into this feeling and knowing that the money that they give you, for my instance, um, you know, they're giving me money that I'm going to take and make sure that people are fed with it. <clears throat> that makes them feel good. They want to know that that's what's happening with their money. They don't want to see um, us abusing their money or, or using it in other ways. Um, they want to see the story that comes with the gift that they've given. And being able to follow through and communicate that kind of um, story with each gift that is given is so important. And that's it's a relationship that you're building with that person, with that donor. And so, yeah, I think, you know, sales is relationships, um, relationships with your donors or it's the same thing. It's exactly the same. Awesome. I'm glad that I'm glad that we share that perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Becca, take a minute and, you know, with the, the uh, donor engagements you've had with the peaks and valleys through through this COVID crisis. Uh, What's the difference in working with donors when COVID is at its peak and then when it flattens uh, and plateaus? I mean, what's, what's that rhythm feel like today? What, what are donors telling you? So I have had the opportunity um, to be at, in my position before the pandemic, during and after. Um, so pre-pandemic, I would say that we were kind of seeing a bit of a plateau. We weren't we weren't seeing a decrease in giving, but it just really just kind of trailed off. Um, I think that you know 
there were some economic slumps that were happening there. Um, and people tend to hold on to their charitable or donations whenever the economy gets a little wild. Um, they're like, okay, I might need to hold on to this instead of giving it to somebody. Um, luckily for our nonprofit, um, you know, we had a lot of great systems in place for fundraising. And so when the pandemic hit, you know, we were positioned pretty well to be able to pivot to a more um, virtual or online fundraising strategy. You know, the media presence that we've seen for a lot of nonprofits, especially people in the food banking industry, has been just crazy good. Um, you know, we've we've we're a part of the Feeding America network. And so mm -hmm. Feeding America has been front and center. And so a lot of food banks have been front and center as well. Um, that's helped us a lot because people are thinking about us. They're, they're seeing us in their mind. You know, they may see an ad over here or a email over here and then see us on TV. And they're like, okay, so we should probably give to the food bank because there's some need out there. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of focused on, you know, stewarding our donors that we currently have and, and keeping them informed. And, and, um, I would say that, you know, we really saw a lot of support amongst the pandemic, you know, from the time that it started all the way through now. Um, and, and while it has trailed off, it's not as steep as it was, you know, mid 2020, um, you know, I think donors are still seeing the need and we've got to find a way to keep ourselves in front of them so that they continue to see that need and we don't let it just kind of trail off. Have you been able to, to do any face-to-face -face meetings or has it all been virtual and by phone? Um, we have we have stopped our um, in-face or in-person face-to-face meetings um, just as a precaution because we just don't want to take that risk with anybody. Mm -hmm. um, I want to get ourselves sick, but we also really don't want to get our donors sick um, and we don't want to get our clients sick either. So mm -hmm. as much as we can, we have done um, virtual meetings, you know, and it to our, our help, you know, that has helped us get um, kind of cost costs are down because we're not going out and taking people to coffee or lunch. Sure. Um, we're able to sit on a Zoom call much like this and be able to, you know, just speak with them and, and they're having their own coffee at their own house. Right. <laughs> so, you I know, got that, mine. <laughs> that's been really good for us. Um, and I think it's going to be hard to transition back completely from the virtual visits to a um, an in-person visit. I think we'll see a mix probably from here forward, no matter what the COVID situation is. Do you see uh, with with your, um, I'll call them your Uber givers, uh, they're really big donors. Uh, are they giving the same uh, by just by phone and in in Zoom calls, or is it, or would you feel like you'd do better if you were able to be face to face with them again? I think that the people who give to an organization for the mission are going to give to your organization no matter if you're in person or virtual. Mm -hmm. I think if their heart is in it, then they're going to give to you no matter what. But the more you can steward that relationship, whether that's on the phone, via email, on Zoom, in person, whatever your client or donor prefers, um, 
I think you have to just try to, to find a find a hefty balance there to be able to to do what they want you to do because that's the way you're going to be able to get them to give more is to let them know that you're listening to them and that you hear them and also to communicate with them, you know, what their gifts are doing. So Becca, I'm curious. I, I can totally appreciate the decision you all made <laughs> on that. Was it a tough decision to make? It wasn't for us. Okay. Um, Tell us know, more we really just thought, um, you know, at first, I will say probably the first two weeks of the pandemic, we were like, okay, is this real? Is this really happening? Um, but then I'll tell you what, we had um, in our area or to- a tornado come through um, right where our food bank, like next to our food bank, uh, and just tear everything apart two weeks after the pandemic started in March of 2020. And so for us, we were like, okay, like we are going to be in-house, like we're going to be at the food bank. We're still going to be serving people, but our donors are going to understand. They're going to know that we're still here. We're still communicating. We're still doing the mission, doing the work. But as far as meeting with them in person, we can't do that. Talk to me about how the service has changed. Um, are they drive-through? Um, um, I, I've seen that a lot, especially in Feeding America programs. Um, Absolutely. Um, that was a big shift that we had to make. We left that up to our individual partners um, because we have 140 uh, partners that we work with that are the soup kitchens, the shelters, the um, the food pantries, all of that. So obviously the shelters still had to stay in person. Um, They're still going to have to have people there for for the homeless shelters. But anybody that could, we encourage them to go ahead and go to the drive-through method. And I think they're always going to do that now. Um, And it's been so efficient. People don't have to get out of their cars. If they're a senior, they don't have to lug a box back to their to their vehicle and put it in. Well, they'll just open the trunk and we'll stick it in and they tell us their name and we just let them go. on. It's been more efficient for us. If we could just get donors to do the drive through method, um, we could just stand at the front door and and uh, with a box and they could drop the money in. Right. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? And, and to tell you the truth, we have had. Um, I guess three or four different drive-through events where we've done um, like we sell a dinner um, and a chance to win something and just really slimmed down our special events. And we were able to um, do a drive-through that way. And it works, you guys, it works. And you're not limited to a room where you can only fit so many people with masks six feet apart. Um, we have seen tremendous growth in our special events with that. Very interesting. Yeah. I'm curious about your, your, you know, over the last couple of years, the new donors you've brought on, I've, I've heard sort of dramatically different stories from different organizations about like, you know, oh, the donors that came in in COVID, they're emergency response donors. They never gave us a second gift. And then I've heard other people say, these are some of the best donors we've ever had. And they've stuck with us better than, than, you know, donors outside of the pandemic. What are you seeing in that, in that space? What, what's going on with your, your new donors? You know, I think it all comes down to how are you taking care of those donors? How are you stewarding them? How are you reaching out to them after they've given their first gift? Are you, are you reaching them, reaching out to them again? Are you reaching out to them on different platforms? Is it, 
You know, are you targeting them with digital ads? Are you um, sending them emails to follow up? Do they prefer a phone call? Um, are you asking them, you know, how do you want to be involved with our organization? Is this a one-time gift? If that's if that's the case, then let me know. And that's great. And we thank you for it. But if you feel like you want to be more involved, let us know how you want to be more involved. And just making that that connection with them. You know, I... I want to talk a little bit about leadership, you know, for a, for a moment. Um, you know, I'd be curious to to hear from you, sort of, you know, in your experience, uh, both as an employee of organizations, but even with the probably the leaders that you work with who are donors. Um, you know, what do you think the most important traits are in, in a successful leader, and you know, how do those, particularly for you, how do those impact the organization's ability to raise money? Okay, so um, I'm going to take a little piece. I don't know if you're familiar, but Brene Brown has a Dare to Lead program that is amazing. Um, if you've never listened to her podcast, she's great. Um, but she has a program where um, she talks about braving, which is a trust building um, example that you can use Um so I would say, you know, the most, the three most important in my experience um, traits of a leader are going to be reliability. So doing what you say you're going to do. Um, for a donor, that may mean, you know, if they give you money and you say you're going to put it towards disaster relief or you're going to put it towards COVID relief or a backpack program, um, you know, whatever, you do what you say you're going to do. Um, I think another important part of being a leader is having those boundaries. So, you know, make clear to your team and to your, um, your donors even, um, make clear what's okay and what's not okay. And that protects you as a leader, but it also protects your, your employees. Um, and, you know, setting those hard stop times for the end of the day, you know, after 5 p.m. today, I'm not going to email anybody back because I need some time with my family. I need time to to take a break from work so that when I come back the next day, I am refreshed. I'm ready to go and get stuff done. Um, I think another another important trait is going to be integrity. So, you know, practicing your values and not just professing them. Uh, choosing courage over comfort. You know, sometimes we have to do those right things even when nobody's looking. You know, this donor may never know that I didn't put their donation towards the backpack program, but that's what the donor intended for me to do. And that's what I'm going to do. So, you know, I think all of those things together, you know, you're building trust with your employees with your donor, within yourself. Um, I think trust is just such a huge part of leadership that, you know, you really have to, to work on that. And that's something that's not easy. It's something you have to do every day and you have to pick it up and, um, you know, you have to pick it up and put it on just like you would, you know, wearing your, your coat when you go outside and it's cold. <laughs> that's interesting. You know, it, it makes me think of a uh, uh, little bit of servant leadership involved, but it, but 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 just that decision every day 
uh, that you're going to lead the right way. Uh, that's that's not always easy, especially when you're managing through uh, crisis and uncertainty and and uh, uh, all these kind of things that have been thrown at us uh, the last uh, 18 months or so. Um, so so true. Um, what do you think some of the um, the biggest challenge you've had um, uh, in 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 the last year? Um, what do you think the biggest, the big, and, and um, uh, is that a challenge that is just unique to your food bank, or do you think it's um, across the whole industry, the entire nonprofit sector? So I have a, a couple of things that I think have been like really challenging that I want to want to point out. Um, I think you know a big challenge um, is going to be meeting with donors again in person. Um, you know, we've adjusted so well to that virtual everything. Um, and we appreciate that for right now, but, but I think it's going to be a challenge to get back to, to meeting people in person. And hopefully we will get to some sort of hybrid of that soon. I hope, um, because we, we crave that human, human interaction. Um, I think another big challenge for fundraisers just across the board is going to be combating burnout. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, as the pandemic stretches on and people start searching for different work with more flexible employers, um, you know, more money, because we know that people aren't in the nonprofit business for the money most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think finding, finding a way to, to combat that and and keep your fundraisers and your good employees from from burning out and and seeking other work because we know that there's a lot of remote work out there that is very good good work it would be good for you know their families and for um, a lot of different reasons but sometimes especially in in this field you know food banking you know we've got to be we've got to be in house. And that's not, you know, we all wear different hats. So sometimes we have to go out and, and serve people in need instead of, you know, being in our office talking to donors. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That burnout piece is, is a big one. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing that all over the place. Um, are, is your organization doing anything uh, different or anybody in the community doing something that's really interesting around that, that you've thought like, Hey, you know, I wish we did this across the country. Um, I'll give you one of the f- most fun examples of what we've done to kind of, you know, help build our culture and um, give a little bit of relief to people while they're at work. Um, we purchased a laser tag set. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so we have a 56,000 square foot warehouse yeah. and each year we would have our Christmas party and we would go to the place down the road where you could play laser tag. But when COVID happened, we were like, well, we can't do that, but we could buy laser tag and have it for forever and play laser tag whenever we needed a break. And so it just made sense that we did that. <laughs> and so you you might be frustrated with Joe down the hall, but you can shoot him in laser tag later. So, 
Yeah, that's one of the the big things we've done. We just tried to kind of lighten it up a little bit as much as possible. Um, give you know one of the one of the most important things I think as a leader um, is to learn to give people grace. Um, you know, we all may be in that same storm, but our vessels are different. And so you've got to think, you know, this person may have a cruise ship while another person may have a battleship and another person over here may have a rowboat or a John boat. Um, And if you're all in that same hurricane of a storm, then yeah, you're in the same storm, but the way you handle things is going to be different. And, you know, that's based on, you know, the, experiences that you've had in your life, um, your upbringing, even your chemical makeup, you know, opportunities that have been given or opportunities that have not been given. Um, And so I think, you know, we're all just trying to make it to our destination safely through that storm. And, you know, giving each other grace is going to be the only way that we make it there peacefully. I love that. Roy, are, are are we going to see laser tag tournaments pop up at your organization? <laughs> I want to do that just for the heck of it. You know, we, <laughs> we, we, we've done uh, a lot of different things, uh, you, know, uh, you know, off-site, uh, just, just, just for morale and that kind of stuff and interaction. But, but, but laser tag sounds like fun. It does sound like it fun. It is. You know, we've done some escape rooms a couple times and uh, – Problem is, I always end up getting locked in a room by myself. So, uh, so uh, it's always a problem for me. But the, uh, but but laser tag's fun. We've done the escape rooms a bunch of times, but that would be a fun. Becca, I've got one last question for you uh, before we close out the conversation. You know, uh, predictions, right? You know, uh, it's, it's the time of year where people are saying, like, okay, here's what we think is going to happen. Here's what we're planning for 2022. What do you think is on the horizon for for food banks nationally? What do you think, you know, what, what are you seeing and what does it make you think about the rest of the year? So first off, I am no forecaster. And every time I've tried to be a forecaster for our fundraising in the past two years, I have been just wrong. I've been wrong. <laughs> um, but I do want to share just a a quote with you that I think is just so important to remember when you're talking about your goals and you're talking about, um, you know, what you, what you want to happen in the next year. Um, So James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits said in his book, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. And just let that sit for a minute, you know. I think for for my organization personally, um, I think that we have systems in place to, you know, like our marketing strategy and the vessels that we use to execute that. We have our strategy for donors and we have them in portfolios because we have a specific plan that we want to use for our donors um, and how we want to connect with them, how they want to connect with us. Um, We've expanded our platforms that we, um, that we do use, you know, we've gotten lots of different capabilities as far as how people can donate to us, Um, you know, text message or 
online or um, an Apple Pay feature or, you know, just trying to to meet donors where they are. Um, And when we've done that, we have, you know, either hit or exceeded our goals every time because we're putting in the work on the back end and using our systems to our advantage. So when something like this happens, like a pandemic, then we're in a good position to be able to take on more funds, meet more donors, and and be flexible and adapt. So, you know, if you don't have a plan, then you're probably planning to fail, in my my opinion. Um, That's what it all kind of comes down to. So I think this year is going to be a good year. I think we're going to continue to see some increases in fundraising in both food banks and, and other nonprofits. Um, I think it's going to be a year of adapting and change, and you're going to see more people make it or break it in this next year than you've seen in any years past, I think. Um, because if you choose not to adapt and you choose not to make those, those steps that you need to take, then you're never going to get there. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us today for this conversation. Really appreciate your insights. If somebody wants to reach out to you and, and follow up on this conversation, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Um, they can email me at rhendricks, H-E-N-D-R-I-X, at foodbankofnea.org. That would be the, the easiest way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you. Have you read my Amazon number one best-selling book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them Yet? It's the book that I wrote with expertise from over 20 nonprofit leaders and their 300 years of combined experience. You can download it for free today. Just visit andrewolson.net and go to the free resources tab on my site.